You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds What will the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite? Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. My name's Joseph Toscano. Any complaints, send them to me. Don't send them to the radio board. Just send them to me and I'll tear them up, all right? It's simple. Now, if you wonder what anarchism is all about, anarchos without rulers. It's about creating a society without rulers. We see what rulers do in the Ukraine, in Yemen, in Iraq, and I could go on, in Myanmar. We know who the real terrorists are. Anarchists aren't terrorists. We're nice people. We want to create a society without rulers so we don't get these outrages we see every day, every minute of the day around the planet. It's a society without rulers. So what gives a ruler the ability to say, oh, I'd like to invade this place? It's inequalities in power and wealth. Inequalities in power and wealth. And if you think it just happens in the Ukraine... I'm going to tell you a story about the Solomon Islands today that will make your hair stand on end. Well, it may not. Now, also, I'd like to thank all those people who came to the West Papuan uh, do on uh, the Rent Collective do on Sunday. That's right, Sunday. And especially, I'd like to thank David McKenzie for making those four pieces of furniture, which I was pleased to auction off for around 1600 bucks, So that's a, all that money went into the Rent Collective. So if you are a, some type of tradesperson, if you've got a bit of a talent and you want to help the West Papuan Rent Collective and you can't afford to be a member, you know, a dollar a day, well, then this is one way is to donate something to be auctioned that you've made, and that's the key, you have to make it, that you've made for the... Uh, next Rent Collective gathering in July, August. I mean, we had Margaret the Crafter. She made a little uh, package, which was auctioned for 100 bucks. So it all helps, and it allows people who don't have any assets, who are, you know, or any money, to uh, support the West Papua Rent Collective by um, donating some type of handmade good to be auctioned on the day. Tipping point. I can't believe it. I cannot believe the crap in the federal budget. I cannot believe it. As I, if I gave you, if I said to you, vote for me and I'll give you five bucks, I'd be guilty of electoral fraud. I'd be taken to court. I'd find myself in prison. I'd be the worst human being on the planet. But 
when you give out electoral bribes in budgets, it's all very good. Now, I thought, now I must be an idiot. Well, maybe I am. But I thought that a budget was about plans for the future. It wasn't about trying to bribe people with a few hundred bucks, which maybe will pay for a few electricity bills. You know, bribe people to vote for you. Where's, where was the big ticket item regarding the climate emergency? Big ticket item regarding public housing? Big ticket item regarding all the money that's going to private schools? More money to private schools? Where's all... It just went on and on and on and on. Tipping point. Look, I was playing around with the idea of uh, standing in the Senate as an ungrouped Senate candidate. Not because I'm going to win. I've got a snowflake's chance in hell of winning. Not because I'll get my deposit box back and it takes... You need two grand before you can enter the the, uh, electoral party for the Senate anywhere in Australia. Two grand. Because I think it's about time we had some real policies on the table. After listening to Mr Frydenberg and looking at what was in the budget, I thought if Australian politics and our children's and grandchildren's future depend on this lack of policies, this nothing budget, then even if it's a total waste of time, we need to use these forums to air ideas that nobody else is willing to raise. That's right. Air ideas that nobody else is willing to raise during an election campaign because they're too frightened of the 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. They're too frightened of the, you know... The corporate-owned media and the government gelded ABC, everybody's going to keep to script. You say one word wrong, we'll be on the front pages everywhere. And if you think the legacy media is dead, think of it again, boys and girls, because this legacy media sets the hairs running every day. It sets the agenda for the day, whether it's social media, whether it's the virtual world, whether Instagram, TikTok, the list goes on and on, Facebook, they set the agenda. So you're going to have one of these useless, fake, crappy, stupid, irrelevant election campaigns by most of the political parties. You may have a few independents and a few of the smaller political parties will bring up an idea or two. That's worthwhile. So I thought to myself, I know, look, I don't want your money. I don't want your financial support. What I need is 110 to 120 Victorians to nominate me to stand for the Senate so we can raise some issues which I raise consistently on this program which we can raise in a public forum. All right, an alternative budget. I can't even be bothered crapping on about the crap that was in the budget a few days ago. Yesterday, I should say. I can't be bothered. 250 bucks for the 6 million people on Social Security benefits. It won't even cover the cost of inflation for a few months. Six months, halve the excise, save $22 on a tank of petrol. Or is it 15 I don't know what it is. Come on, in six months' time, 
up it goes up again another 22 cents you know I, I could just go on and on but I, I'm just flabbergasted a bit of tax relief in inverted commas when the rich and powerful and one third of this country's corporations will pay no tax this year and the rest will pay voluntary taxation when we see the exploitation of this country's resources and all we've produced is billionaires and a million children living in poverty. Extraordinary. So, let's look at a few of the policies that I'm interested in. And before you say, Joe, you're wasting your time. Look, I know I'm wasting my time. But one thing they hate is people pissing on their parade. And what I'll be doing on your behalf, unless you wish to stand, and I think the more the merrier, is piss on their parade. Whether we get any traction or not, who knows? But you never know what can happen in a big city and a regional area and a country area. You never know. So, some of the policies I'll be elucidating. Number one, any entity in the mining sector that is worth more than $50 million has two options. It's either compulsorily acquired with no compensation by the people of this country or they pay 90% tax on profits. Joe, they say, it's unrealistic, but all, all things that are first put to people sound unrealistic. If the crap under the ground belongs to the crown, belongs to the so-called Australian people, right, why shouldn't the crap under the ground, any profit made from the garbage under the ground, not be used for the benefit of the Australian people? What we do, we give it away to the corporate sector for a peppercorn taxation rate or a peppercorn royalty and say, there it is, become a billionaire, enjoy yourselves at our expense. We're happy to have a, hundred, a million children living in poverty in this country. We're happy to have six million people on social security benefits earning, in the majority of cases, less than the, uh, receiving the majority of cases, less than the uh, poverty levels. Well, we're very happy with it, as long as you're a billionaire. So let's bring up policies that will cause indigestion compulsory acquisition of any corporation, company that controls more than $50 million of resources in this country. And if they don't want to be compulsorily acquired, 90% taxation rate on profits. 90% taxation rates on profits. I can imagine young Twiggy and all the other people involved in the mining industry, Mr Holmes at court, you know, the leader of the United Australia Party, will be jumping up and down about this one. It's the end of the universe as we know it. Well, of course it's the end of the universe as they know it. And it's the beginning of our universe. That's the difference. Another policy, all right? And what are we going to do with that money? Well, let's say 20% goes to the Indigenous population, First Nations people. I mean, they may make up 3% of the 
of the population, but the all the resources under the land were traditionally theirs before they were stolen by us in the most violent fashion, in a fashion that makes the Russian invasion of the Ukraine look like a picnic. Say so 20% to try to resolve the endemic exploitation. I never use the word disadvantage. It's exploitation, endemic exploitation of this country's First Nations people. The other 80%, let's use it to fund a universal basic income so we can deal with disasters. We can ensure that people have a decent standard of living in this country, not giving them $250 in their bloody pension in April, just before the election, or giving other people a bit of tax relief in July. Come on. Let's look at something real. And let's look at the way it's funded, because all the policies I'm going to be talking about, fully funded. Fully funded, obviously. Certain people have to pay for it, but they're fully funded. As I said before, Compulsorily, you, you give them two options. You say, we're happy to take over all your business. You can keep the original 50 mil. Or, if you really want to hold on to your assets, 90% tax on profits. Bingo. You make up your mind. Because ultimately, it's our resources. First Nations people and the rest of us. It's our resources. It's not your resources. The government of the day contrary to what we would expect, has given you the right to exploit those resources for a peppercorn return. Another policy which I've spoken about, which we could use to pay for, let's say, universal public housing. Now, if housing affordability going through the roof, with rents going up and with no, no, nothing in sight to resolve this issue of the monopolisation of the housing by the private sector, what we need is some type of funding arrangements to build the public sector. And I'm not talking about privately owned housing for low-income people like community housing, affordable housing, social housing. I don't care what bloody name you give this shit type of housing. It's shit housing. It's privately owned privately managed. We want secure public housing. Not in huge towers, but scattered around the country. Regional areas, rural areas, CBD, outer suburbs. But you need an income stream. Why not, and this doesn't need blood in the streets, and you won't see Twiggy, you know, jumping up and down, or Clive jumping up and down. You won't see them jumping up and down on this one. How about a 1% stock market turnover tax? Hmm? 1% stock market turnover tax. You could raise anywhere between 25 to $50 billion a year. Because it's all computerised these days. It's just a matter of changing the program. So 1% automatically goes into the Treasury. And if that is used for public housing, you could house approximately 200,000 Australians in secure public housing every year, which would mean within 10 years, that's 2 million. And what does a strong public housing sector does? It does a lot of things. 
It reduces demand for private rents, so therefore private rents decrease. As private rents decrease, investors, irrespective of negative gearing or not, leave the market and housing at the lower end of the market drops in value so people can enter the housing market who've been frozen out. It's all very well on the budget to say, we're going to give 10,000 people, we're going to guarantee their loan once they've got 5%. Oh, come on. Come on. There's 25 million people living on this planet. Come on. Another little policy. How about a 1% financial transaction tax? Wow. It's all computerised, unless you're a drug dealer. It's all computerised. Bingo. 100 to 120 billion every year. Think of the amount of money that could go to public education, public hospitals, public infrastructure. These are simple things that can be legislated. If there are constitutional issues regarding the compulsory acquisition of resources, that can be resolved by a 90% taxation rate on profits. It's very simple. It's about putting ideas, which may sound fanciful, into the public realm. That's what elections are about. They're not about small targets because you're frightened. You know, the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC is going to have a field day, you know, in, in lampooning you. Why lampoon us? We're the ones who are trying to resolve these issues. It's not business as usual for us. We understand there's a climate emergency. We understand there's an increasing gap between rich and poor. We understand about the evils of corporatisation and globalisation. We understand how our resources that were once in public hands have been given away to the private sector. We understand when people talk about red tape and green tape, they're not talking about helping people. They're talking about making it easier for people to be exploited. So think about it. So, as I said before, the budget was my tipping point. I mean, I can talk to the cows come home on this program and nobody will take any notice. Maybe a few hundred or a few thousand people will take some notice. But 99.999% will take no notice. But standing as a federal candidate, maybe, will get some extra traction. So if you are interested in this type of campaign, I don't want your money. It's a waste of time. You'd be wasting your money. Better things to do with your money, like pay your bills. But I do need between 110 and 120 people on the Victorian electoral roll to nominate me. Nominations will open when the writs are issued, which will be in the next week or two. So keep your, keep your eye on this program and uh, I'll be going around the place. Hopefully we'll get the nominations. I'll uh, waste the cash and we'll give it a go because we need to do something to break the current intellectual impasse that we have in this country. It's all about privatisation, it's all about globalisation, corporatisation, and when push comes to shove, it's all about putting a few dollars in people's pockets 
in order to buy their votes. And if you think I'm some type of Trojan horse out there for some political party, I can assure you I will not be directing preferences. If you're smart enough to put a one in my box, then you're smart enough to direct your own preferences because we have a preferential system. And although you may put a one in my box, the chances of me being elected are nil. Nil. I'm realistic about these situations. But the chances of a preference flow having an impact on who ends up in the Senate is real. Very real. So a vote for me isn't a wasted vote. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Keep your eyes out on the Facebook pages, Toscana for the Public, Joseph Toscana, web pages, anarchistmedia.org, pipsy.net, uh, to keep abreast of uh, what's happening. Things move very quickly. Once the writs are issued, I've got about 10 days to run around like a chook without a head, uh, gathering the nominations, and, um, and we'll see what happens. You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Nothing vegetable and to s- look. I used to be a great believer in you know. Let's 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 ignore all this bullshit. But the dilemma is, there is power. We have no power. They have power. Even the parliamentary puppets have some power, some significant power, as we've seen during the COVID nineteen outbreak. I think it's important that we rain on their parade, piss on their footpath in the electoral circus because if we don't because if we don't introduce ideas which will change the tra- trajectory that this country is moving on I can assure you the problems we are facing today will be nothing compared to the problems our children and grandchildren will be facing in the very near future listen to the Anarchist World this week broadcasts across Australia via the Community Radio Network Pain the Piper. Now, you may put your head in the sand when people talk about things like bond yields. Now, it goes a little bit like this. Australia's a trillion-dollar debt, roughly a trillion-dollar debt, okay? And this money that was created out of thin air, we're told in the financial markets, you know, capitalist financial market has to be paid back. So what governments do when they make this money, which they give to the private sector, not to individuals, but to the private sector, they create bonds. It's basically saying, we're good for the loan. And if you're willing to invest money in our bonds to cover our loan, we will give you money. And that's what a bond yield is. It's an interest rate on the money which a government borrows on the open market, basically, you know, the the so-called capitalist market. So bond yields are basically the interest rate that is paid by government on money which is lent to them when they create these bonds to cover the debt they've created. Now, currently, bond yields are up. And for, I think, a one-year bond, it's 2.4, and I think a 10-year bond is up to 2.9%. So what does that mean? 
And what it means is that the interest rate bill that the taxpayer pays, you and me, increases. And it can increase dramatically. It's like the interest rate you pay on a loan that's not secured or on a mortgage that's variable. It increases. And currently, the interest rate on Australia's loans is about $18, $19 billion. Now, that can double very quickly. And that's why we see a lot of sovereign nation states find themselves in particularly difficult situations. Because they've got to pay the interest. And if they don't pay the interest and they foreclose, then what actually happens is the whole system collapses. Now, with inflation, and everybody's been talking about inflation, and now we're seeing the real consequences of inflation. And inflation's got... Hard, apart from petrol, it's got hardly anything to do with the Ukrainian situation. It's about all this money that was created that just flowing around, which went to the corporate sector, not to individuals, which is creating what are called inflationary pressures. And as inflation goes up, money is devalued, interest rates on the bonds go up, you pay more money. So the Treasurer's attempt to resolve the issues will only increase inflation. They won't resolve the issue. Putting a bit of money in people's pockets will not resolve the underlying problems of wages and wages growth. Now everybody's saying, well, wages are going to grow. They're going to grow greater than inflation. What a lot of garbage. Total garbage. While they're saying wages are going to grow, and Mr Frydenberg and Mr Morrison are crowing about the fact that unemployment rate will be less than 3.5% in 12 months' time, the fact is nobody mentions the elephant in the room. COVID-19. The Treasurer's little friend, as far as unemployment is concerned, is COVID-19. Because before COVID-19 struck, we had a high immigration rate, over 200,000 per year. But more importantly, one in seven, that's one in seven, that's about 15% of Australian workers were here on temporary work visas from overseas. So when the borders closed and there was no support for people on temporary work visas in this country during COVID-19... People went home. As they went home, jobs were freed up for locals who'd been frozen out of the market because they weren't able to compete because of the low wages. So this decrease in unemployment is totally artificially created by COVID-19. It's got nothing to do with government uh, you know, policy. It's a direct consequence of people on temporary work visas not coming to the country, the number of immigrants decreasing dramatically, and people on temporary work visas going home because there wasn't enough support for them. So it's an illusion to think unemployment's going to stay at 3.5%. Because what's happening currently? The business community and the corporate-owned community is baying at the bit for increases in immigration and, more importantly, increases in the number of people with temporary work visas to come into this country. 
So as the pe- people flood back into the country, as COVID-19 becomes endemic, you will find that unemployment will rise. And it will rise especially among the section of the population which refuses to be exploited in the gig economy, the 18th century economy, which refuses to be part of that horrible, disgusting, evil mechanism of employment where people are just paid basically on a piecemeal basis with no type of protection. And that's why they want to increase the number of people on temporary work visas. It's very simple. So if you think wages are going to rise, they're not. And the other reason they're not going to rise, it's very simple. We have no effective trade union movement in this country. Not because the trade union movement doesn't want to be effective, but because of legislation that's been put in place which makes striking illegal in this country, except during a brief period during the enterprise bargaining agreement period. So if you've got a, a trade union movement that's been tied up in legalese, you've got a business community, you know, frothing at the mouth for a return to the high levels of uh, people on temporary work visas, then there is no way there's going to be any direct pressure of the majority of employers to increase wages. They don't want to increase wages. They want to maximise profits. And in a capitalist society, private investment for private profit, there is two ways. Two ways to maximise profits. One, you rip off the people who are working for you. Or two, you rip off the people you're providing a service or a product for. It's very simple. If you don't do that, you don't make a buck. Hear about all these little cafes that are going under because they relied on temporary work visas, workers, who were willing to accept cash payments as little as $10 an hour, who had no protection, workers' comp, holiday pay, sick pay, and the list goes on and on. So if you think that somehow... Wages are going to rise to keep up with inflation. Think again. It's not going to happen. It won't happen. Because we all want to go back to the good old days where we could exploit workers in this country, both those who were born here, both and those who came here as immigrants who are permanent residents, as well as citizens, and also people who come here on temporary work visas. That's the reality that we face. And to listen to anything that the Treasurer, Mr Morrison, and the Liberal National Party has told us is going to come true, in inverted commas, in this current pathetic budget, which doesn't look at anything that's real, think again. Think again. Do not believe the propaganda. I could not believe the commentary the people who are asked to comment on the budget, the usual suspects, the usual crap. I felt sick. I had to turn the bloody radio and TV off, turn off social media, the usual crap constantly. 
Well, private investment, private profit is the only way. We need to do this, we need to do that, we need to give business and corporations more tax deductions, they need more corporate welfare, blah, 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 blah. That's the budget. And that's an election budget. Could you imagine that? That's an election budget. Now, I can promise you that if I do get do get nominated to stand as an uh, independent ungrouped senator, I can assure you that you'll get nothing from me, not one miserable cent. But, but you may look at things in a different way. You may demand things be done in a different way. You may start acting as a citizen, not a customer or a consumer. You may ask that the parliamentary puppet strings are cut. And the list goes on and on. Let's move on. COVID-19 seatbelt on a more serious issue. Although, obviously, the other issue is very serious. I'm a bit concerned about COVID-19 in the community currently. It's becoming endemic. What that means is that most people will get it. And I've noticed among a number of my unvaccinated patients, contrary to the advice I've given them and the community has given them, that more and more are succumbing now to COVID-19 because as we move back to a more normal arrangement where we accept that people will get sick and people will die, we accept that. That's, that's when a disease is endemic, it's there. It's our friend. It's our enemy. It's there. It's constantly there. The dilemma is, as the number of vaccination rate has increased, the dilemma is the small percentage, about 5%, who for whatever reason, whether it's religious, whether it's philosophical, whether it's political, whether it's personal, have decided not to be vaccinated, are now in a very, 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 very dangerous situation. Because they have no natural immunity or induced immunity through vaccination. Now, I'd just like to go through this again, because I know these days that most people just, you know, don't give a second thought to COVID-19 unless they catch it or a friend catches it. Now, COVID-19 is a serious problem, especially if you've got no antibodies to it. It's a very serious problem. It can cause people to die. It can cause what's called long COVID syndrome, can cause symptoms for years. It's a serious problem. Now, I like to compare COVID-19 vaccination to a seatbelt. Now, when you wear a seatbelt in a car, it does not mean you're not going to have an accident. The whole purpose of a seatbelt is to try to minimise the injuries that you sustain by keeping you in your seat so you're not flying around the car or thrown out of the car. 
And I remember the good old days, you know, the good old days 30 years ago when we had half the population and about 3,000 people dying from road accidents every year. Today, we've doubled the population. You know, it's less than 3,000 national road toll. And to a significant degree, the introduction of seatbelt legislation 50 years ago has had a major impact on mortality rates. That does not mean if you're wearing a seatbelt, you are not going to be injured. Obviously, you may be injured. But the whole point about a seatbelt is to minimise the injuries you have. And that does not mean that in a small percentage of cases, the seatbelt itself for example, when a car crashes into a river or a stream, the seat it belt itself may be an issue in terms of your survival. It's the same with COVID-19 vaccination. It's exactly the same principle. Vaccination does not prevent you from getting sick. As I said, seatbelts don't stop car accidents, but they do minimise the extent of injuries. And the whole point of the COVID-19 vaccination is to assist the body by bolstering the immune system to fight that particular virus. So if you're vaccinated, there's a good chance when the disease is endemic that you will catch it. But there is a very good chance that you won't get long COVID and you won't die from it. It's that simple. So if you're a listener, and I know there are listeners to this program who are not vaccinated, I think vaccinations have been round enough, around long enough to reassure most people that side effects are minimal. As I said, with a seatbelt, if your car crashes into a stream or a river, it could be the death of you. Now, obviously, with vaccinations, there's a small percentage of people who have major reactions, a very small percentage of people, minuscule percentage of people. But the reality is that without vaccination, the risks you take are extraordinarily high. So why should you take those risks when there is a way of decreasing those risks? Think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. <sighs> yes, that's a, a sigh. And I'm sighing for the people of Ukraine. I'll tell you why. The negotiations have began between the Ukrainians and Russia. And I think the Ukrainians are beginning to understand they have been set up by the so-called free world they have become the human sacrifice for the continuing disputes between imperial powers I mean negotiations are now about what should have been negotiated before the Russian invasion to prevent the Russian invasion and they're talking about Ukraine now being neutral territory they won't join some type of Western pact like the National Atlantic Treaty Organisation, which was set up 
basically to protect the West from the Soviet Union, if the collapse of the Soviet Union, why should the National Atlantic Treaty Organisations continue to exist unless it's directed at Russia? So we've had thousands of people die in the Ukraine needlessly. Needlessly. And the West has stood by. But more importantly than standing by, it was the West that goaded the Ukrainian government not to negotiate with the Russians. Not to negotiate. Not to come to some type of agreement. So every Ukrainian that has died in this war and every Russian that's died in this war is as much a victim of the Russian invasion as a victim of the West's drive for supremacy as an imperial power. It's that simple. Very simple. And when I hear that the two sides are now talking about negotiation, about Ukraine being a neutral country, about Russian forces being removed from outside Kiev, I think to myself, and I'm sure many, many Ukrainians, Russian-speaking and non-Russian-speaking themselves, are now asking themselves, why, oh why, oh why, do they let themselves be led into the situation as sacrificial lambs by the United States government and its NATO allies. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, more importantly, well, not more importantly, but our own region, the Solomon Islands. Over the last few days, you've heard this hullabaloo about the sovereign nation state of the Solomon Islands signing a security agreement with the sovereign nation state China and you think to yourself what's all this about and you listen to the Prime Minister make an impassioned defence of his government's right to sign a treaty with the Chinese authorities and you think why have things come to this level now, let's not forget that regime change through economic punishment and physical punishment is part and parcel of United States policy, and it's been United States policy for decades. Decades. It's their policy, regime change. If things look difficult, if you can't throw a government out through economic means or legal means, there's always the good old invasion. Just remember Chile, was it 73, how the Chilean Allende government was overthrown by the United States. Look at the dismissal of the Whitlam Labor government in 75. I know it's not very kosher to talk about United States involvement and CIA involvement in that dismissal, but that's something we need to think about. Now, the Solomon Islands has been in a difficult situation for some time. And I remember when we sent in Australian troops about 10, 15 years ago to quell uh, dissent which was occurring in the Solomon Islands to a large degree as a direct consequence of the upheavals which occurred 
in uh, New Guinea. So what's been happening in the Solomon Islands that we really don't haven't heard about? Well, when the Solomon Islands government changed its allegiance from Taiwan to China a number of years ago, the United States government poured in money to the oppos- into the hands of the opposition in order to mount a campaign against the current government. And this led to the riots which we saw a few months ago in the Solomon Islands, where the American government bypassed the Solomon Island government and handed money to opposition groups and fanned ethnic divisions within the Solomon Islands group. So the current government, like me, has a snowflake's chance in hell of surviving. I've got a snowflake's chance in hell of uh, winning a Senate seat in Victoria. They have a snowflake's chance in hell of surviving because the Australian government and the United States government are hell-bent on regime change to suit their own imperial ambitions in the region. Hell-bent on regime change. Whether it's economic punishment, whether it's physical, who knows. But this is something we need to keep an eye on. Because we like to think of ourselves as something as, you know, morally superior. That somehow our government is different to other governments, that it listens to the people, that it respects sovereign nation states, that it respects borders. But the dilemma is that when it doesn't suit our interests, when another superpower comes to the rescue of a sovereign nation state, which we believe is in our sphere of influence, when there's hell to pay for those people, for daring, and the key word is daring, to pursue an independent foreign policy initiative. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, look, I like to go back to West Papua because, you know, you know, we like to talk about certain wars and we like to ignore other wars that don't suit our political agenda, all right? Now, I'm the convener of the West Papua Rent Collective. For the last eight years, we've been raising money to ensure the West Papuans have at least one office around the world which they can coordinate their independent struggle. And their independent struggle is gathering momentum. We've threatened United Nations uh, intervention. Uh, We've increased uh, publicity. But as far as in Australia is concerned, West Papua does not exist. West Papua is less than 70 kilometres from Australia. There are 2 million people in West Papua, 1 million West Papuans and 1 million Indonesian immigrants that have come through transmigration programs where people have been given three land, in inverted commas, by the Indonesian government. In the last 60 years... Over a half a million West Papuans have died directly or indirectly as a result of this undeclared war. Currently, now remember I told you this, there are 
one million West Papuans, about 400,000 adults and about 600,000 children. Currently, 25% of Indonesia's military forces are stationed in West Papua. At last count, that is 208,000 soldiers are stationed in West Papua. Most of them to keep peace, in inverted commas, and many involved in skirmishes and actions against West Papuan guerrillas who have survived in the highlands for over 60 years and continue to conduct a military struggle against the Indonesian occupation. Now think of this. There is one West Pap- there is one Indonesian troop for every male West Papuan over the age of 16. One Indonesian soldier stationed in West Papua for every West Papuan male over the age of 16. There is one Indonesian soldier for every two West Papuan adults. One Indonesian soldier for every five West Papuans. That's an extraordinary concentration of military power in such a small area. And why? Well, West Papua is one of the last frontiers in terms of exploitation, in terms of exploitation by the private investment by for private profit brigade. You go to Indonesia, you go to Malaysia, you can see the destruction of the natural environment which has been caused by the private investment for private profit brigade. I remember a number of years ago I travelled from Singapore right up to the northern Malaysia and all I saw was palm oil plantation after palm oil plantation after palm oil plantation after palm oil plantation. West Papua is rich in timber which has been cut down willy-nilly by the Indonesian military. It's rich rich in fishing stocks. It's rich in natural resources. Freeport Mine is the most productive gold mine on the planet. And the only thing that stands between the West Papuan, uh, the Indonesian total control, is West Papuans. And they are slowly being made into a minority in their own country. And what we do we do here in Australia? Well, we acquiesce constantly to Indonesian demands. We train the very troops, the very elite troops, which are sent into West Papua to conduct assassination missions. We train those very troops. We provide military support. We refuse to use the word West Papua in the Australian Parliament. It's an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. That we're very concerned about the war in the Ukraine and a little bit, a tiny bit of concern about the war in Yemen and what's happening in Myanmar and the list goes on and on. But when we're talking about a war that is happening on our own doorstep, which has been happening for over 60 years, we are not interested. And when it comes to the Solomon Islands, and all they've been through over the last 30 to 40 years, especially due to the destabilisation about Australia's participation in the naval blockade of Bougainville and the death of over 50,000 Bougainvillians in that little war, 
we begin to understand how we don't have an independent foreign policy and begin to understand why our Pacific neighbours are beginning to turn up their noses at us. We refuse to tackle the issue of a climate emergency, which to them is very real, which in many of the smaller nation states in the Pacific means the end of their culture, their nation, their people, their languages as they know them. So you can understand our Pacific Island neighbours now looking for somebody else to look after them in this particular situation. And if there is one government that has been responsible for this, it's the Morrison-led Liberal National Party, which has decreased dramatically aid in the Pacific and has refused to deal with the issue of a climate emergency. You've been listening to the tipping point anarchist world this week. I've finally gone totally stark raving mad. Yes, I have decided after the budget to stand as an independent Senate candidate, ungrouped, under the line, not because I'll be a real not because I'll be elected. Snowflakes chance in hell. Not because I'll get my two thousand dollars back, because that's what it costs to stand, but it's about time we raise some real issue in this pathetic electoral race. Now, if you're interested in nomin- if you live in Victoria, interested in nominating yours truly, once the writs are issued, I've got about 10 days to run around without a chook, without a head, to get 110, 120 people to nominate me, so I have the pleasure of giving over $2,000 to the Australian Electoral Commission to stand. If you're interested, keep your eyes and ears open. As soon as the writs occur, I'll be racing around Melbourne and the Victorian countryside collecting signatures. If I don't make it, I don't make it. If I do, I do. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. Web pages, anarchistmedia.org, public interest before corporate interests. You can become a member online of public interest before corporate interests. Don't forget, it's very simple. Uh, you can ring us, leave messages on if you want to support us on 0439 395 489. Don't just ring. Leave a message. 0439-395-489. And you can always write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. YouTube, public interest before corporate interest. The important thing is we need to raise issues. We need to extend the degree of debate. Who does this country belong to? If it doesn't belong to this country's First Nations people, and if it doesn't belong to the citizens and residents, who does it belong to? Who should share the resources? Think about it. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program program is podcast. 3CR.org. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.